So you put off buying a new John Deere tractor all year, but now the procrastinating has finally paid off because it's year-end sales event time at SunSouth, and you can take home a new John Deere for less than you ever imagined during our biggest year-end sales event ever, like the John Deere 3025E tractor for only $139 a month, and save up to $4,300 on a John Deere 1025R with loader. Or get your yard work done faster and more efficiently with the Z915E zero-turn mower for only $109 a month. Plus get 0% APR for 60 months on select Gator utility vehicles. Hurry in to the year-end sales event at SunSouth, where everything you could need or want for outdoor projects is priced to go. From the yard to the fields and everything in between, think SunSouth. Visit your neighbors at SunSouth or shop online at sunsouth.com and see how affordable owning a new John Deere tractor can be. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Offer ends December 31st, 2019. So you put off buying a new John Deere tractor all year, but now the procrastinating has finally paid off because it's year-end sales event time at SunSouth, and you can take home a new John Deere for less than you ever imagined during our biggest year-end sales event ever, like the John Deere 3025E tractor for only $139 a month, and save up to $4,300 on a John Deere 1025R with loader. Or get your yard work done faster and more efficiently with the Z915E zero-turn mower for only $109 a month. Plus get 0% APR for 60 months on select Gator utility vehicles. Hurry in to the year-end sales event at SunSouth, where everything you could need or want for outdoor projects is priced to go. From the yard to the fields and everything in between, think SunSouth. Visit your neighbors at SunSouth or shop online at sunsouth.com and see how affordable owning a new John Deere tractor can be. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Offer ends December 31st, 2019. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. John DeSalvo and me and my fabulous and wonderful co-host. See, I forgot her name. Oh, Seraphine. Sorry. Uh, Seraphine Hurley. (laughs) Hello. Got to get your attention. I'm not asleep. Yeah, welcome you to our show, the uh, Paranormal X Hour, where science meets the paranormal. And uh, we have a really unusual show for you tonight. Not that every one of our shows isn't unusual, right, Seraphine? Yeah. uh, Forgot my volume was on, sorry. Yeah, well, let's get with it. You got to hear my my lame jokes anyway. um, But I want to thank you all. I should do the standard introduction. I want to thank you all for joining us on 107.7 FM. New Orleans. See, I'm practicing New Yorker when I visit New Orleans. Well, I was there before. I always pronounced it wrong, but anyway. Uh, on 107.7 FM, United Public Radio Networks, and the website is uprntalkradio.com, where they have an incredible number of fantastic shows and programming, 24-7, one of the best radio stations in the nation. And um, um, let's see, I guess I already brought you on, right, Seraphine? So. And my wonderful co-host, Sarah Hurley, who keeps me in shape and keeps me on track, <laughs> usually. Yeah, sometimes I drop the ball, and it's entirely my fault. Yeah, did I leave anything <laughs> out? Is that a good enough introduction? And Joe Montalvo, <laughs> yeah. the owner, who I love and is wonderful to us, and uh, uh, best radio station I was ever on. So we're going to do something unique. Um, I guess this is paranormal. Psychic Roswell, the crash at Roswell in July 1947. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of wonder why we haven't done one on it so far, because half of my questions on Facebook and email 
is about Roswell because they know of of my interest. I wrote it in some of my books. By the way, you know uh, the famous uh, Stan Friedman, right? Yes. Stan Friedman. He was one of my buddies. He was on every radio network that I was ever on as my first guest. We were that good of friends. <laughs> and uh, we used to talk for hours. And the thing I remember about Stan, he always told me he is one hour east of the time zone. So it was one hour east of Eastern Central Time. And uh, it, was, it was kind of strange. And mm -hmm. uh, Stan and I, um, he, he sent me all his books, signed. And um, again, we used to talk for hours and hours. And uh, me, I, me being a physicist and him, I actually was almost going to be a nuclear physicist. We, you know, we had much in common. And uh, I, as a tribute to Stan, I think if it wasn't for him, ufology wouldn't be as well known and as accepted because Stan had uh, one of the most credible, you know, was one of the most credible researchers in this field. Did you follow Stan a little bit, uh, Seraphine, in his work? Yeah. Of course I did. <laughs> did you get a chance to meet him? I have been in the room with him. I had been in the room with him several times, but I've never got to talk to him. Yeah, at the 60th Roswell anniversary, um, him and another good friend invited me and I couldn't make it. My my son Stephen went in my steed and uh, got some great pictures with him. So that was great. I wanted to bring it up because not only was um, Stan one of my best friends, I like his famous saying, half slides will travel because he would love traveling all over the world giving, mm -hmm. giving talks. And as you know, I was on the lecture circuit too, not with ufology, but with was the Shroud of Turin and other projects. But mm -hmm. um, Stan and I had very similar views. We we're both scientists, both looking for evidence. And um, uh, one of his, one of our mutual friends, which we actually did several shows together, was the son of the, uh, they both passed away, unfortunately, was member Colonel Jesse Marcel. Actually, he was major at the time who was in Ro the Roswell chief uh, information officer. And most people recognize him as holding that weather balloon, you know, kneeling down mm -hmm. in the newspaper. The famous picture. Yeah, that it was a weather balloon. And mm -hmm. it's pretty famous. And I think it was July 8th newspaper from Roswell. And then it went, obviously, AP and everything. Right. Um, I, I didn't know him, but his son... Uh, Jess Jr., who was also, um, he was actually a colonel in New York. He was actually um, an air, uh, air um, what do you call it, a pilot at, in, at the Iraq War. He also was an MD, an ear, nose, and throat specialist. And we got to be very good friends. And um, Stanton, him, and I did many shows together, you know, and that was those were interesting shows. And I proposed some of my research, and they talked about theirs. And... Um, uh, Jess and I had many, many private conversations on the phone, and then unfortunately he passed away. Um, he was a fighter pilot in Iraq, that's what I was trying to say. He sent me a great mm -hmm. picture of himself next to one of those uh, gunnery things, and um, uh, just a wonderful down-to-earth person. And so uh, I'd like to dedicate this show in memory of Stanton and, and Jess. I used to go by, by Jess, uh, Dr. Marcel. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so... Just to let you know my background, I also know people that as far back as 1970 uh, investigated Roswell. But it was interesting because it's actually only, 
I don't know if you know this or not, uh, you know, 1947 was the Roswell incident. It wasn't until around the 1970s or 80s, actually around 1994 is more likely that people started questioning the government story. So, because don't forget it, back at that time, we had more respect for the government and its credibility. Um, mm -hmm. So people kind of accepted what they said. But around the 80s, people started to say, well, wait a minute, you know, what, what's going on here? And I, I think it wasn't until around 1994, I can't remember the event or some conference, maybe it was the, um, it was the declassification of Project Mogul. Um, well, no, that was, um, that was set in the 70s. So any questions so far, comments? Um, it, Laura Lee's in the chat room, and there's two other people that I can't see. But I'm, uh, for those of uh, you uh, think I'm distracted, but I'm actually watching the comments live. So if you have a question or a comment, I'm also going to post in Facebook where you can find us. I did mention it in the banner. So for all those of you that don't know that we are a live show, live broadcasting on 107.7 FM New Orleans and also on uh UPRNTalkRadio.com, as well as uh, United uh, Public Radio on YouTube. So I am posting that link now in Facebook, and uh, so people can see that uh, we are live, as well as I will be checking out YouTube to see if there's any questions or comments. Excellent. And, you know, I keep my messenger on Facebook open because I have a lot of friends and they can also just message me, John DeSalvo, on Facebook. I don't even think you have to be a friend of mine to message on Facebook, but I'm not sure. Unfortunately, but no. John DeSalvo. <laughs> we wouldn't ask for stories, right? No. But um, I'm just John DeSalvo007 with my sunglasses, so you can't miss me. You know what? I'm going to give you something unusual and that most people don't know right up front. Instead of keeping everybody in suspense the whole hour, uh, because I promised I was going to give some information that is not well known. I actually, um, this was information that actually goes back to around 1970. Uh, a friend of mine who was actually looking into Roswell, just about the time when people started questioning what was going on, spoke to some of the farmers. You know, like the uh, uh, the, the Roswell debris was on the... Um, the Mac Brazel ranch. What was his first name? William, I think. And uh, so most people heard of him, you know, there were farmers and ranchers. So what my friend did, he spoke to some of the ranchers that were alive at that time. And it was very interesting what they told him, which he never published, but he told me that um, a short time after the crash, all the pregnant cows and sheep in the vicinity of that Roswell crash, you know, near Mac yes. Brazel's ranch, mm -hmm. um, all these, uh, all the cows and sheep, the pregnant ones, spontaneously aborted. Wow. And I wonder if you ever heard of that. Yeah, I had heard of that happened, yeah. Well, nobody knew about that until I first supposedly mentioned it. And also, this is crazy. One of my neighbors who's from Iowa, and their family are farmers, they also heard that story. Can you believe that? Ooh. Two independent sources. So I thought cool. that was fascinating because whatever happened uh, changed the physiology of uh, being a neurophysiologist or biophysicist. 
that to me should have been investigated. It could have given some insight into um, what was really happening. And um, so I thought that was information. Uh, so what I decided to do, oh, this is about 20 years ago, maybe, um, I contacted the city clerk in um, Roswell mm -hmm. because I actually heard this information from the friend who actually heard it from the city clerk at the time of the Roswell incident. So that's the kind of link. So the city clerk alive in 1947, who was a farmer, as I believe, told my friend in the 1970s that all the farmers were complaining about these pregnant sheep and cows aborting their young. So mm -hmm. I contacted the current city council member, or the president, and asked him, could you go to your microfilm or microfiche, whatever, right. and find a list of all the city council members in 1947, which took him a couple of days to do. And he e emailed them to me. And there were a list of about seven or eight names who I forwarded to a contact in Roswell, the person I think was very much involved with the Roswell Museum, to track down the descendants of these people. Now, interesting, right? Mm -hmm. To see if they heard any stories from their parents, and two, if the debris field was as big as it was, don't you think some of the farmers may have taken a couple samples? I sure as hell would have. Yeah, so you would think so. You like my research so far, the way I went about this? I thought, okay, who would have been alive in 1947? Who would have been in the mini, mini, uh, uh, right in the middle of, say, the Roswell crash or in that immediate area? Mm -hmm. And what? how could I get names? And it would have been city council members. Yeah. Well, it turned out some actually had funeral homes, the, the descendants, some were whatever. And we really didn't have much luck you know, contacting them. And my friend in Roswell, who was an engineer, actually, uh, and I think he was director at the Roswell Museum at one time. I'm not sure. I haven't kept in touch with him. Really didn't have much luck. And that research would still be open, you know, to mm -hmm. somebody. I, I don't know what I did with the list, but I would pass that on if somebody wanted to follow up. Because I would think, well, you know, what if one of the um, uh, farmers in Roswell, where the debris was on their field or even nearby, maybe mm -hmm. they were kids, took some and threw it in one of their Bibles or books because it was kind of cool, maybe something of important. So there could be Roswell debris sitting in people's homes and their books passed on to their children. So I thought that was kind of neat. So some uh, enterprising young researcher, if I can ever find that list, I would be more than happy to pass it on. Or I bet if you contacted the Roswell City Council, you could probably get the same list as I got. So that was something that um, was not known to a lot of people and gave me the idea that something really strange happened there that had to do maybe with radioactivity. What, what are the physiological me uh, mechanisms that could cause spontaneous abortion and a lot of cows and sheep at one time over an area. Mm -hmm. I don't know of anything like that. And can I say something real quick? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. No, take your time. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and just to preface that the only reason I knew about that, the spontaneous uh, evacuation or ab abortion of the animals was from John, not from anybody other source. So, so don't get confused. He, his information is correct. It's just that I was busy looking to see if there was anything in the chat and then posting to Facebook. Oh. So I apologize. Okay. No, no, so there's fine. no confusion. The information was, is actually from you. 
I, I wanted to make sure because if you had another source, that would even be better. That would be like a, you know, even a third. Well, source. I do have. You know, I do have other sources, but. <laughs> Well, I thought this whole thing was really funny. And uh, one of the other er uh, thing I'll bring up a couple personal stories is when I was um, good friends with Jess Marcel Jr., he, he told me um, that when his father went out, I think Jess said he was 11 at the time, when his father went out to direct picking up the debris um, in the truck on the way back to the base, he passed his house and stopped and brought in a box of debris. And Jess Jr. was 11 years old at the time, said wow. his father dumped it on the kitchen floor and um, they were going through it. And one thing was like an I-beam and other things. And Jess Jr. said, his father said to him, this looks like it's not of this world. And I thought that was interesting. And wow. um, Jess also told me, um, um, well, make, the other interesting thing was that years later, I found a lady showed me a uh, diagram she drew when she interviewed Jesse Marcel Sr., you know, the information mm -hmm. officer. And it was five years before he died. She was supposed to do, I can't think of her name for some reason. She was supposed to do a, 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 a I think a college or high school project to interview somebody important. So she decided mm -hmm. to interview, um, God, her name will come to me hopefully before the end of the show. She, she was very kind to me in sharing information. Um, so she interviewed, uh, uh, he was a colonel at the time, a colonel promoted from major to colonel, uh, Jesse Marcel mm -hmm. Sr. And he drew a picture for her of an I-beam and symbols as how he remembered it in 1947. Oh, wow. And he signed it. So... I was talking to Jess Jr., his son. This was after his father, a long time after his father died. And I asked him if he's ever saw this picture. And he looks at it and he said, I never saw this picture, but it's my father's handwriting and his signature. Hmm. And I identified some of the symbols on it that when Stan, when, you know, Betty and Barney Hill, the abduction, yes. the very famous one, like 20 years later. Um, mm -hmm. Betty supposedly, and I, I know I'm going fast for a lot of people that are not ufologists, but after the show, you can Google a lot of this, the Benny and Barney Hill abduction. They were a couple, where did they live? It was New England somewhere, wasn't it? I can't remember. Um, but, uh, they were, uh, uh, they claimed to be abducted. Betty mm -hmm. Hill was hypnotized afterwards. And she yes. said when she was brought upon this craft, she was shown a book and, mm -hmm. In hypnosis, she drew out symbols that she saw on the cover of the book. Mm -hmm. Now, well, this is yeah. like, you know, 20 years after Roswell. Uh, she obviously never saw the Roswell picture. And mm -hmm. uh, when the book came out, I think Stanton co-authored it with the niece of Betty Hill, a a a Kathleen, I can't think of her name. God, I'm not good at names tonight. But I... Stan sent me a copy right away. I don't know if it was pre-publication or whatever. And I got it in the mail and I took it to my son's track meet at St. Thomas University. So when he wasn't running, I'd have something to do. So I, I was reading the book and I turned to the back where the illustrations were and saw the diagram that she drew under hypnosis. And the symbols were very similar to some of the symbols on the Jesse Marcel drawing. And I found a third match with something supernatural which I'm going to hold off. Oh, wow. 
because the that's really neat. theory. Yeah, and I actually published it in one of my books, The Sea Rest of Prevorce, one of my 12 books. And uh, I'm not sure if this one's still in print, uh, Inner Traditions. Uh, my Barnes & Noble's books are out of print. But anyway, to make a long story short, there was a lot of questions in my mind. Was this a real, you know, UFO crash or was it a, um, a government testing of something? And I, I know when I get to my conclusion, a lot of people may be disappointed, and, um, but I have something even bigger to throw at them. Um, one of my closest research colleagues is a former NSA cryptologist mm -hmm. who I've been working with for two years. And uh, we're actually going to be publishing some articles on the Voynich manuscript, which we think we decoded. Mm -hmm. And we also decoded a lot of uh, uh, magical diagrams of Dr. John Dee that nobody else has. But um, uh, people involved in Roswell, he, I, um, what's his name? Um, Charles Targ and others actually worked for Jim. Mm -hmm. And so, and Jim, you know, has his own theory on Roswell from his inside information. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of changed, and I'm not sure I agree with everything he said, but when I told him my theory, he kind of seemed a little shocked. So maybe I hit a nerve. So I hope nice. I'm not going too fast with the Roswell. Yeah. If, if you could pause for a second, Laura Lee said this is... This topic is right up my alley. I actually listened to Barney Hill's original hypnosis tapes on YouTube, which are available. Really? So, yeah. I didn't know that. Yes. And, and so, yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting. So for those of you joining us now, thank you for your listenership. We really appreciate it. And um, please feel free to take notes because everything that, that uh, Dr. John's saying is actually you know verifiable um and some of the stuff he's about to tell you actually isn't in print so um pay attention folks there's going to be a test maybe later <laughs> yeah don't forget i've been a professor most of my life <laughs> can't end the show thank you seraphine um i wanted to throw these out first because i hate a lot of shows where they say i got new information and, and then they'd wait to the end but i wanted to get that out first i got other information, but even just the cows and sheep aborting and these symbols, I think most people would not have heard of. Don't you agree? I mean, I, even though I did radio shows with Stan and, and Jess about it, uh, I don't think there was a big listenership at that time. So that's yeah. new information, right? According to you? Yes. Okay. Well, let me give a little history on Roswell and what seemed to be the most plausible theory. Um, and the bottom line is going to be at the end of the show, and I better watch the time. Oh, damn, I turned my clock the other way. Oopsie. Um, but you can keep me updated. I wanted to make sure. Yep. We may have to do two parts on this. Next week maybe could be my way out theory if we don't get to it. But um, on July 7th, I think it was 7th or 8th, 7th, I think it was, 1947, um, in the New Mexico desert, there was supposedly a UFO crash that at that time the government said it was a weather balloon remember they used to use weather balloons for even espionage all kinds of measuring the atmosphere so weather balloons were really common in 1947 and 1940s so about uh, roswell uh see, it, it crashed about 75 miles north of roswell so but it's usually considered you know the roswell crash and um uh Basically, it was uh, the debris was quite large, actually. It went all over several ranches. One was 
the uh, uh, Mac Brazel Ranch. Um, and um, allegedly, the okay, so anyway, that was the cover story, and which everybody accepted back in 1947. A weather balloon crashed. Uh, weather balloons were not just a balloon with like a little thing at the end. They were kind of pretty sophisticated. Actually, they had fiber optics and a lot of technology that the public wasn't aware of. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, but that's when we get to Project Mogul next. So anyway, um, what happened was everyone accepted that until about the 70s, maybe into the 80s, when they started questioning the story. Now, wait a minute. If it was a weather balloon, um, a lot of the parts of the story don't make sense. The extent of the debris, what people saw. Why did the government come in and, and, and quarantine the whole area? You know, like, it sounded like something secretive was going on, and it, and it was. So not much was said. All these conspiracy theories were coming out. And then um, it wasn't until 1970s when the government, the Air Force, declassified a project known as, as Project Mogul. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, uh, I hope this is declassified when I say this. If not, I'm in big trouble. But there were forerunners to Project Mogul, which was Project Skyhook. Uh, you love this Project Moby Dick. They never heard of mm -hmm. that one. Huh? And then there was uh, Project uh, Genetrix. Those were like uh, secret top, top secret projects, forerunners of Project Mogul. Mogul was really a big project. The reason a project mogul was, it was actually um, the brainstorm of a, a Maurice uh, Irwin, a geologist, a, a geophysicist um, from, uh, actually he was from, and it really is interesting because um, some of the government uh, places involved were places where I was at and many of the cities, even Mamaroneck, and my wife was from, my late wife was from Harrison, New York, which is right next to Mamaroneck. Uh, Bethlehem. I lived in Bethlehem, New Jersey. Um, so a lot, I, at one time, people thought I was kind of uh, involved in covering up some of the uh, government information, which wasn't true. I'll say that 100%. I never tried to cover up anything, but people thought I was part of a, a modern MJ-12. But it was interesting because if mm -hmm. you really looked at my history and where I lived, there's a lot of correlation but I was not involved. Yeah, that, in that is either. true. Very so. Um, but anyway, so what these weather balloons, especially Project Mogul, were supposed to do is that that there was a theory. Now I, I'm not sure. I'm not a geophysicist and I'm a biophysicist. But there's uh, in the upper parts of the atmosphere, and I think it's called the uh, 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 troposphere or whatever. Uh, it's a faraway part of the atmosphere. They thought it would be like a, a sound channel, that mm -hmm. sound could travel all over the world, like, a, you know, um, in an ocean, you know, a channel mm -hmm. uh, uh, or in the, in the atmosphere, um, whatever. So they, part of Project Mogul contains sophisticated microphones and uh, listening devices and uh, I had a list of stuff from it, fiber optics. Uh, fireproof fabric, strong metals, uh, all kinds of things that if somebody looked at would say, wow, these mm -hmm. could really be from outer space or from an advanced civilization because they were developed secretly. But they were the idea was to go up to this atmosphere, Seraphine, 
and to listen that if there was a nuclear test by the Soviets, they would pick it up. So it would be a device to determine the, hearing the sound of a nuclear test, and then we would know the Soviets had done that. So that was yeah. the main project. So it wasn't like a little box with a few transistors and well, it wasn't now, with, with a few tubes. It was a very sophisticated um, box, and it was big. I think, let's see, I have it 700 foot long. The, um, and wow. uh, any, anyways, so that's what later the government said. It actually wasn't a weather balloon. It was Project Mogul, and that's why it had such a large debris field, why the things that people saw looked alien, but it was because it was some of our advanced technology that was not made available to the public. So let me stop there. If any questions on Project Mogul so far? Because it does sound like that would explain it up to that time. Yeah, it, it does. And actually, um, I don't have any questions where uh, Laura Lee and I were trying to get the link posted elsewhere besides wherever else I posted it. Uh, I tried to get the link posted to the Paranormal X group, but I don't know if um, Chad is working or anything right now. So I don't. Well, because I don't have interrupt, access. Interrupt me, you know, if you get any questions, but um, um then in the 1950s, they started the um, uh, using dummy drops. So, you know, they're mm -hmm. testing dummies. I, I won't go into that experiment, but that's what was tied in later to say that there were bodies, alien-looking bodies found. And uh, but actually, there were two different projects that I would, were tested at three or four, five years apart. So. That's the problem. A lot of people mesh these two together. And not only did Roswell have these strange artifacts, but also people claim to see bodies. Now, a recent author, who's a friend of mine, um, thinks that they were experimenting with nuclear-powered aircraft, and the bodies were like small people. I guess midgets is not politically correct, but small people or survivors of Hiroshima. And I, I don't buy that at all. I think it's a very interesting no. theory. But uh, I, I, I want to mention that I, I am aware of that. And I think it's fascinating. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to go into it because it's not something I really consider. But, but these uh, sensors in the Project Mobile were low-frequency sensors and very sophisticated. Um, so I'm getting a little lost here. But so, so that's where we kind of were and then the idea that or is Roswell um, was it really an alien craft that Project Mogul now is the cover up okay mm -hmm. for for that and I have to honestly say I don't see any evidence for an extraterrestrial crash and I'll tell you for two reasons. One is because of the extent of the debris and allegedly other alien crashes in other parts of the world, to this day, unless somebody knows something I don't, not one piece of de debris has been brought forward to a credible university that does materials testing. And that material was shown to be from another kind of world, you know, molecules or mm -hmm. whatever, a device or some kind of thing 
that we don't have. And I don't believe in the reverse engineering story and that uh, I can actually disprove that probably in five minutes because I knew, knew who some of the scientists were who were said to do reverse engineering. And I don't believe they did. I followed their work and every step of the way. Stan mm -hmm. Friedman had a problem with this too. He told me he did check out some of the dates and places that didn't make sense. It didn't, you know, correlate with what was mm -hmm. claimed. Now, I don't know. I just keep a question mark on it, like maybe, but I don't see the evidence for that. Because uh, as a scientist, as a physicist, like the transistor that was claimed, by the way, the inventor of the transistor won a Nobel Prize twice in the same field, the only person to do that. The first time was in superconductivity, and that's where I did my dissertation in. And the second time for inventing the transistor with two other people. And if you look at his work, you could see the development of it. And to me, to say that the, the transistor was reverse engineered is an insult to the scientists and their group who actually developed it. But I mm -hmm. found this in several other claims of reverse engineering. It's something we can debate. You know, I'm not into that area. But um, so at this point, Project Mogul seems the most logical choice. Or was there something even more secret, right? Mm -hmm. That later the government's going to come out with another cover story and it goes higher and higher. Mm -hmm. And this is where my theory comes in. Because once we exhaust all these possible theories, that to me is no, uh, you know, somebody mentioned another uh, researcher, a doctor who supposedly had a piece of a craft, and, and he was very respectable, by the way. I don't want to mention his name because um, so, there were molecules, again, not of this planet, but I didn't see that work. I haven't seen the data. I don't know if it was test. I have a meteorite from the moon that was analyzed, and there's elements in there that are molecules or that um, are not uh, compounds that are not known on Earth and not on the moon. That doesn't mean it's alien. It's just something that may be formed that mm -hmm. we haven't known. So we're brought back to the beginning. Was Roswell just a government experiment that went bad, that crashed? And then later, you know, 20 years later, when people stopped believing the government and conspiracy theories were very popular. And by the way, you know, that's a big business, isn't it? Yep. It is. Books, radio shows, talks, conventions. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's not right, but I'm just saying is that um, people could say, well, why would there be so much doubt? Well, um, I respect scientists and data, so mm -hmm. I'm open. If a scientist came to me with data and research material, even, even the implants, I knew some uh, abductees that claimed to have implants. And at one time, someone was going to try to get one of the implants from Roger Lear for me, Dr. Roger Lear, when he was alive. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had connections everywhere in every area. And, uh, but then he passed away before I was able to get something from him. I, I'm sure he would have sent something to me because most people who know me know I have connections to universities and large testing labs and all kinds of ways to, to test this stuff. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm getting off track, but the question now is, well, what do you think so far? I have a question. Yeah. 
Okay, because everybody is like, well, how do you know it's not of this earth or this or that? Is it true that there are elements on other planets that are actual elements that actually exist here on Earth as well? I would think so. I, I mean, speculation. I would think there's a wide variety of elements and different. Wouldn't you think so? Like, I believe there's life all over the galaxy. Oh, mm -hmm. you may. OK, I'm glad you brought that up, because let me clarify. I believe there's life, all kinds of life, infinite life all mm -hmm. over the galaxy. The question is not that. I mean, just statistically would have to be. But mm -hmm. the question is, has intelligent life evolved on any of those planets that have visited Earth? And are UFOs those extraterrestrial civilizations that have advanced technology? Right? You agree. That's mm -hmm. the question. Um, maybe well, Earth that... was seeded with life by a meteorite from with DNA from another world. Right? Mm -hmm. That kind of answer your question or give you... Can, can I interject a comment? Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to quote Star Wars here. Your ability to speak does not make you intelligent, Earthlings. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I love it. That's one of my favorite movies. So you, I you added Earthlings. So before I run out of time, I'm going to get some of the nitty-gritty stuff that maybe people have not heard about. All right. So why aren't there more UFO pieces with all the crashes and observations all over the world? So here is where I am as a scientist. You got to answer? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's I have an answer. answer. You because, got one? People, because people are greedy magpies. The pieces end up all over the place. In fact, I would bet money that there's actually still fragments from certain crashes other places because they didn't get far enough because at the time forensic technology wasn't as advanced as it is now. It was advanced for its time. Don't get me wrong. It was advanced for a long time, even at that time, because it was military. But at the same time, um, I'm going to tell you that there not only that possibility, but we also have the fact that um, people going back to people are greedy magpies and people will pick anything up. It's like, Oh, that's pretty and shiny and odd. Not knowing that it could be irradiated and you could be endangering your entire household with alien germs or interdimensional germs or whatever have you. Uh, or th that people will just take, take things. And I know several people from other crash sites who openly admit to stealing things from the military. Because well, they could. Yeah. Because it, they could. And if it is military, we would know that. I know how we could solve this problem real simple. Get a benefactor, which isn't me, to <laughs> offer a million dollars to somebody to bring forward a piece of the Roswell crash or any crash. And if it's proven to show that it's not of this earth, they'd get a million dollars. I mean, you probably get thousands and thousands of junk, but it's it's a way to to flush people out that may be high and do, have it done anonymously, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whatever, because people are going to be afraid the government's watching and may be intercepted. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, you get, you get, um, I'm not uh, afraid. Uh, you, <laughs> and I, you and I ain't going to sponsor that, right? You know, no, I won't sponsor it, but I'll, I'll rally for it. I'll contact Lockheed Martin, NASA, SpaceX. Yeah. 
and say, hey, do you want to go in with this and, and back this project? Because million dollars, number one, is not a whole bunch of money when you really think about it, because once you have to pay taxes, it's gone. Uh, or, or from a lift on a SpaceX rocket, you know? Yeah, something, something cooler than that. Maybe you I mean, can contact Elon Musk and ask him. That would be cool. Friend, he's a friend of yours, isn't he? I know how to get a hold of him, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that would, I think that would make national news, well, even 10 million. I mean, I don't know, somebody who has a lot of money or a ride on the space shuttle. But the idea is, though, the problem is going to be like when, when like, there's a crime and you ask for witnesses with a reward, you may get a thousand phone calls and they're all meaningless. So you'd have to have a staff of people either that you paid or volunteered that's going to go through them. And testing is not cheap. So you've oh, got to eliminate it. Has it has to be and, tested, exactly. Yeah. And, and I've always been lucky being a professor and having contacts and knowing best friends of mine own testing labs. And so I've been very lucky in getting a lot of free testing done. But but this would have to be done at a really, you know, high, really interesting now. I just thought of that. That's kind of, we were, you know, you were bringing up your question, but the idea that, uh, and then the other thing is, nine, let's say 99% of all UFO sightings can be explained. What about the 1% that doesn't seem to follow the physics of our world? Okay, but it's picked up on radar. There's a thousand people who see it. You can't say it's swamp gas. It's a you know a meteorite, whatever. The the credible, uh, you know, the pictures are analyzed by JPL. Uh, whatever it is, one percent, ten percent, right? Those are the what we're interested in. Is okay. So so let's say there's something going on. I'm going to jump to my theory because we may not get people next week and I want to get everything. I got about 10 minutes, I think, right? Roughly. Okay. So let's assume, and this is the thing which I'm stretching and it's speculation on my part, but remember my specialty in physics is string theory and different dimensions, hyperspace, etc. And, um, I believe that if we can track objects like UFOs, and all UFO means is, you know, unidentified flying object. It doesn't mean unidentified extraterrestrial object, okay? Mm -hmm. It's something we can't identify and place it as a, with a physical explanation. To define the laws of physics by their motions, you know, the speed, the change in angles and everything, then maybe they're not of this dimension. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're of a parallel universe or a spiritual realm. Now, listen to this idea. By the way, in string theory, you got to postulate the existence of 11 additional spatial dimensions for the equations to work. This is not science fiction. Mm -hmm. In certain cases, 32. But so scientists, now not all physicists believe this or mathematicians, but if string theory is going to be the theory that unifies, you know, everything in physics, you have to postulate at least 11 different dimensions exist, kind of tucked away into our spatial dimension. Mm -hmm. But what if the UFOs were from a spiritual realm, which could be like another dimension, right? Mm -hmm. You know, another parallel universe. Technically, yes. That's how we define it. Yes. 
they could maybe move because like, you know, two dimensional creature, if you could move in three dimensions and they can't, you know, they can only move here, but you can pop up and move here or, you know, move through like a wormhole. You could look like you're breaking the laws of physics, but you're just moving through dimensions mm -hmm. or spiritual realms. And maybe why we don't have any pieces of these wreckages is they can't exist in our physical world because they're in the spiritual realm that only can move into our world for a short time. And then if they don't move back, they will disintegrate like an ice cube. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's something, let's say that happened and the government made contact with these creatures, these spiritual beings, and some kind of alliance was made mm -hmm. and they wanted to cover it up. Extraterrestrial making the public want to believe that they're covering up an extraterrestrial contact would be covering up something even bigger. Mm -hmm. And how do we not know that that contact is not sinister? Mm -hmm. It's purely speculation on my part, but it actually explains a lot of the data, it explains the motion and movement of UFOs. It explains why uh, no pieces of it exist. It explains why uh, there's actually no physical evidence because mm -hmm. it can't exist over now, again, how long? I don't know. Purely theoretical. Now, one of my areas of research is the holographic universe, that the universe is actually a two dimensional plane, not like the earth, but, and we are like three dimensional holograms. I'm not going to go into it, but my holographic theory that takes into account multi dimensions and parallel universes could explain the UFO phenomena. So mm -hmm. that's what Jim and I, the NSA guy, and I have been working on. He's the one who encouraged me to look into, the former NSA cryptologist, to uh, look into the holographic theory. He thinks I may have something there. So a lot of speculation. Uh, I thought I turned my phone off. Okay, I turned it off. Um, a lot it's of the government. Well, it's <laughs> it says unknown number, so I never get uh -huh. that. Um, you wonder. So... If I had to speculate, okay, I would say mm -hmm. I think 99% of it could be explained through Project Mogul, government testing. And by the way, everybody says the government's 20 years ahead of us in technology. That oh, they're further have. than that. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, people see this. Stuff, <laughs> they, they say, wow, we don't have this. It's got to be extraterrestrials. Uh, the other thing, too, most of the UFOs are always seen around the Earth, not in space. Now, I know certain astronauts have said it, but... I bet if you plotted it out, 99, 90%, they're all around the Earth. Why? How come we don't see them coming in? There's millions of amateur astronomers. So I think it's something locally. It's a local anomaly. It may be caused by a rift. Uh, a lot of people talk about the Philadelphia experiment and CERN. Did one of those agencies cause a rift in the parallel? Why is time speeding up? Are we having some problems in our spatial time continuum? And so maybe that's something the government's covering up. That would be one hell of a shock, wouldn't it? So yeah. I believe since 1947, our government has undergone the most extensive psy war, psychological warfare, besides mm -hmm. the Manhattan Project, to mm -hmm. cover up what really happened at Roswell, because it's so sinister or so beyond 
what they want to reveal, like contact with another dimension or a parallel, a spiritual source, and the extraterrestrial label. They want people to believe they're trying to cover up this as an extraterrestrial contact because it's covering up something bigger they don't want us to know. Pure speculation on my part, but I think it fits a lot of the data. Mm-hmm. The end. No. <laughs> Ta-da! I hope we got some questions because I really love questions on this, you know? Um, I didn't see any questions. Uh, we did have some, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Laura Lee says uh, that, um, see, Moldavite's supposed to come from meteorite, which uh, meteorites usually come from out of space. Guess what, the meteorite. So Moldavite, that's a property only found on Earth because it got smacked into us from space. Well, there's like three categories, Libyan desert glass, Moldavites, and tektites. I used to be yes. a meteorite collector. Uh, so she's probably referring to all those. Libyan desert glass is only found in the Libyan desert. I have a really beautiful piece of it. And the theory is, the, the, the uh, um, way out theory is there was some kind of atomic blast millions of years ago in the Libyan desert and fused the sand into Libyan desert glass. Others believe it's like a meteorite origin. And really, nobody knows for sure. But mm-hmm. it has a very interesting metaphysical property. Now, I'm not psychic, but I'm very much attracted to it. Moldavites are definitely, you know, meteorites. of, of they, they could be fused, you know, uh, rocks. A lot of people think they're from impact of a meteorite at high frequent temperature and pressure. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't be from a, a meteorite origin, but from Earth. I'm not sure. I haven't followed that area for like about 20 years. So new research must have been done. Tektites are like that. We definitely know tektites are fused from the earth. And a lot of people used to think tektites were from the moon. So go ahead. I have a question. Yeah. Do men in black really exist? Yes. I knew it. I wanted I wanted to have some, you know, Laura Lee asked if, if men in black actually exist. But, you know, I already knew the answer to that question because I've actually seen some on a couple of occasions. So they do exist. But why would they exist? Is it for extraterrestrial reasons or extraterrestrial interdimensional reasons or all of the above? They're very interesting, first of all, but I won't describe them. And number two is yeah, don't. the above. <laughs> check, check, and check. And All I'm right. just going to make a disclaimer. <laughs> the rest of it is speculation, but they do exist. Well, even remember Art Bell, he even at one time said he was visited by the men in black. I remember mm-hmm. once hearing on one of his shows, and I don't remember what show it was, but there was somebody on talking about something. And, and the next night he said, um, I don't want to do a show like that again. I was visited by the men in black and I don't want that to happen. I, I never forgot that. I, would, I, 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 I used to go on coast to coast before they had ever any archives and you had to buy a cassette tape of the, uh, of the show. You know? <laughs> I have shows that I've been on, 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 you know, I've been on about at least over a dozen times since, oh my God, I bet the 1990s. But, um, but yeah, that was at the time they had no, uh, website where you can become a member and just download it or get, but um, 
I remember the shows I was on, I think um, I actually, I either I got a tape of it or somebody, a friend of mine listened to it on the radio and taped it. So, um, but that's how far back the men in black go. But, you know, uh, you could look at them as any intelligence type of keepers of any government agency or any, even a private agency. You mm -hmm. have to have people in high level security to investigate leaks and anything like that. But um, uh, you know, Laura Lee's trying to embarrass me, isn't she? <laughs> I don't think so. Not she, she wouldn't try to embarrass you. Not ever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just giving her a hard time. Any other questions? What's, how are we doing with the time? Um, it, it's time for us to wrap it up, really, but I, I wanted to say that since this is a live show, folks, please make sure to know that you can contact us in here in the live chat at YouTube for uh, United Public Radio for UPRN, uh, talkradio.com here at YouTube. So uh, make sure that you, you know, you can call in, you can log in, you can join us in the chat uh, to make sure that you can get your questions heard and answered. Oh, before I forget, I didn't say what the third thing that matched those symbols. When I wrote this book, The Seeress of Prevor, she was a 19th century clairvoyant in Germany and said she could write and speak in the language of the ghosts. And I got through their archives. 1850 was when her book was published. And I rep reprinted all her diagrams. I got them from the Kerner Museum and other places in Germany. First time ever in 150 years put together in one book. And she had a page of the numerical script of the ghosts and mm -hmm. those symbols, the Roswell symbols that Jesse Marcel Sr. drew and the Betty Hill hypnotic hypnosis session where she drew the symbols mm -hmm. have a pretty good correlation. So, you know, my theory is if it was an alien craft and it was an I-beam, maybe it was a part number. It could have been. Call Holly's. <laughs> So I had to get that in. I don't want to leave that open. So Exactly. Well, thank you, Seraphine. And um, I'm sorry I kind of hogged the show. I usually like it when we kind of go back and forth. But um, You're not hogging the show. Pretty much got everything in. So I, I didn't want to do two parts because then not everybody can see the second part. Maybe any last minute words from you and, and you can do the closing because you do it so sexy. I like that. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. John. I, I really enjoy our shows and our, our working together. It's really Me been too. a pleasure working with you. And um, and I really get excited about the topics because we talk about everything from the paranormal, the super paranormal, to what the heck are they talking about today? So <laughs> you, you really need to catch up and watch our shows and yes. get ready because we're, our shows are only going to get bigger and better from here on in, because the only thing that we can do in 2020 is up our game. So that's what we're doing here at Para X, what we're doing in Tripping the Void, what we're doing in Infinite Inquisition, what we're doing everywhere. So we wanna make sure that you know where to find us every Monday afternoon, evening. So we've we've got that here at five o'clock with Dr. John DeSalvo and myself. And just know that the paranormal is a real thing, that that little green men may yeah. not be a, a real thing. But you know what? You never know when hell is going to freeze over. And, and I want to be there with my camera to see it. <laughs> Very good. And thank Joe Montalvo, the owner of our, the, yes. the network, for giving us the time and uh, the great time to have our show, too. So thank yes. you, Joe, for your support 
and kindness. Yeah. So, and thank you, Seraphine. You are wonderful. I, I love <laughs> you as a co-host and love you as a person. And thank you for all you do. You're you're my inspiration. And I think, uh, Aww, thank you. Ho hopefully I'm your inspiration to a certain extent. Maybe that's why we have so much fun on the shows. And, <laughs> to a certain extent. And you're a damn good researcher. People don't realize that. Realize that. So keep up your work. This is Matt Siraj, fourth generation owner of Community Coffee. My great-grandfather named it Community, just out of appreciation and respect for his friends and neighbors. And for 100 years, our family has been about two things, great tasting coffee and great people. And as America's number one family-owned retail coffee brand, we believe it's our responsibility to continue to give them the best tasting coffee experience possible. And it's why we're excited for you to discover your new favorite blend. Look for Community Coffee at a store near you. So you put off buying a new John Deere tractor all year, but now the procrastinating has finally paid off because it's year-end sales event time at SunSouth, and you can take home a new John Deere for less than you ever imagined during our biggest year-end sales event ever, like the John Deere 3025E tractor for only $139 a month and save up to $4,300 on a John Deere 1025R with loader. Or get your yard work done faster and more efficiently with the Z915E zero-turn mower for only $109 a month. Plus get 0% APR for 60 months on select Gator utility vehicles. Hurry in to the year-end sales event at SunSouth, where everything you could need or want for outdoor projects is priced to go. From the yard to the fields and everything in between, think SunSouth. Visit your neighbors at SunSouth or shop online at sunsouth.com and see how affordable owning a new John Deere tractor can be. Some restrictions apply. See dealer for details. Offer ends December 31st, 2019.